Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Back again on another edition of the Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com and on iTunes. Scott McKay is our guest this week. It's me and Orlando. My assistant is here again. She had made an appearance on the show in in a while. It's been at least a more than a month, at least. Yeah, busy couple of weeks. Busy couple of weeks. Today we got a chance to do a video shoot with a client. Uh, we're not going to give away the organization yet because the shoot's not done, but an amazing organization helping oh people yes. all over the greater Baton Rouge area, and they're trying to be that national. Be the biggest secret? The, I would say so, the best kept secret in best town. So it's been uh, it's been good. Today probably is the best weather day we've oh, had in a very long time. Weather. Yeah. I hope it stays this way. We're getting into the sweet spot though, you know, where when, when the humidity comes down a bit and it's still sunny before it turns rainy and 40 degrees outside. For about a month we have yeah. um, winter is like a month in Louisiana. So this is about the time that you got into the state last year. So you're moving back you you've, Last year 1st of September. So you've experienced some of this before, yes. right? So, you know, you haven't seen snow yet. We get about uh, an inch of snow every 30 years if you combine all 30 <laughs> years. <laughs> all right, so quick break, and Scott McKay is on the other side of this. We're going to talk about a tragic shooting that took place this morning in Virginia. We'll talk about Donald Trump and a lot of politics, and we just have a good time and bounce around on subjects and uh, end with a conversation about Ashley Madison, which I think you'll find interesting. Scott McKay is next. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Welcome back. He's back again, the provocateur in chief, Scott McKay of the Hayride. I think All the I like people that. You've had on this on this show, and I'm the provocateur in chief. Let me think about it. Okay, the only I'm person not even the most provocative no, no, no. guy that writes okay, for the Hayride. Okay, okay. So Richard Condon may be close, but I mean, we see him coming because you can hear him when he pulls into the parking lot. Nobody sees you coming. Okay. So I think that's fair, don't right. you? Okay, fair enough. So on this day, give me a lot to live up. To I'm here. saying, I'm get myself man. in trouble. To, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull something. We like that around here, you know. We'll get you some ointment if you do. So let's, okay, let's. Can we edit that part out? I don't, I don't, I don't know if I like that. This is somebody's gonna put that in a headline. Clay, Clay Young offers McKay ointment on podcast. And we're all going to be like, this was a bad idea. That was probably so. You never know. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> but on this day, the day that we, we sit down, this is airing on Thursday, the what, whatever tomorrow, Thursday, the 27th. On Wednesday, the 26th, as we're, we're sitting to, to record this interview, this morning in Virginia, a reporter and a cameraman are doing a stand-up. Uh, you know, they're out shooting a live shot on a morning show, as most of you are familiar with the local news stations have you know, a morning reporter and camera guy that go out and they shoot you know, community interest, human interest, some civic thing that's going on. Right. Well, this reporter is out shooting something of that nature when out of nowhere on live television, gun, gunshots ring out. 
the reporter and the cameraman, and as you were saying, I didn't think the person on camera was shot. They're shot. The reporter and the cameraman die. We're learning more about the douchebag who actually perpetrated this act on these people. Uh, His name is Bryce Williams, and he live tweeted about what had gone on as he's leaving the scene of the crime. Your thoughts, sir? Not only that, the guy actually recorded himself. He recorded himself killing these people. And and like put that up on Facebook or Twitter or something. It's, it's, you know, we were talking just a little bit before uh, before the the podcast. And, you know, we're in this media culture, right? Mm -hmm. And the downside of us being in this media culture uh, has, has been mostly played out like, on film, right? I mean, you see these movies about, you know, people will do anything to get on TV or all, all these kinds of things. This is like somebody who actually worked in TV. This yeah. guy was a was a was a a, a local news reporter mm-hmm. at, you know, half a dozen different places, got fired everywhere he went cuz he's cuz he was nuts. All right? right. And and it was apparently there was this pattern where, you know, he he creeps out the people he's working with and they don't want to work with him and then you know, he happens to be a black guy, so he causes a racist thing that yeah. people don't like him. And, you know, it's like, no, when you try it at six different places and you can't find any enlightened people at these local You're news stations. You're not good. Yeah, you suck. And the problem with this guy is, is that, you know, and I think, you know, there's there's the media culture element to this. And then there's sort of the, the ordinary culture element to this, which is right. that nobody is ever at fault for their own failings. So that, right? So this yeah. is somebody else's fault, and I've got to go lash out because I didn't do well and these people you know, rejected me or whatever. And I th- I'm, I'm guessing that when the full picture of this thing comes out, that's probably what fundamentally this is going to be. You could say, yeah. well, it's a racial thing. It's not. It's, it's a loser yeah. who refuses to change his ways right. to not be a loser. And rather than that, he wants to go out in a blaze of glory and hurt a bunch of people. Well, I mean, you know, and there's there's parallels here between like a Dylan Roof is another guy. It's a right. perfect example. I mean, right. it's a different thing. He's a white guy and a, you know, the racist Confederate thing. But for Dylan Roof, who apparently when he was a, you know, a younger kid mm-hmm. had black friends and all this kind yeah. of stuff becomes a failure in life. Yeah. Latches on to, oh, it's, you know, it's a Somebody racial thing. Fault. It explains my... Yeah, and so it's a, you know they want to make racism racism is a symptom of people who are not successful looking for some reason why and I, this goes back you can go I mean you can go way back you can go yeah. like Adolf Hitler was an example of that right I agree um, so you know and my guess is is that that's probably what's going to be at, at play with this thing and it's sad and it's disgusting and it makes you look at you know at, at the state of the the culture that we're in the society and you say you know. 30 years ago, it didn't feel like no. this, right? Yeah. And, and now it just, I mean, it's every single day. And it's not because everything's being reported now yeah. and it wasn't then. These, right. this, nothing like this happened but in think 1984. About it. It's always now somebody else's fault. Absolutely. And I think you have to do it the extreme opposite and ask, could I have done something differently? Nobody is great at everything. All of us have things in life that we suck at and that yeah. we should never try to do professionally. But just because you're bad at something doesn't mean it gives you the right to go and murder people in cold blood. This yeah. was a, this man. This was a cowardice act. Yeah. And then you deprive the victims' families yeah. and friends of any justice by popping yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, you can in in all of these mass shooting incidents. 
Okay, it's it's always the disaffected loser. The, yeah, you know, James Holmes in Colorado, yeah. and yeah. you know the the guy in Lafayette. Not That's so right. Long. It's always somebody who, you know, refuses to take responsibility for their own, refuses to do what's necessary to fit in, mm-hmm. and look. You don't have to fit in with what everybody wants, but no. you need at least be able need to be able to, to to make connections with other human beings, right? Right. And when you're unable to do that, and you're at that level of alienation, that's when you become a danger. Okay. And in the old days, like yeah. medieval times, yeah. right? Those people were considered monsters, and mm-hmm. they made them go live in a cave, mm-hmm. largely because they were scared to death of what was going to happen when right. they popped off. Now. I mean, we get people who are dangerously insane, and we can't even institutionalize them. Well, let's let's talk about that because you bring up a lot. We and I've had this conversation with congressmen who've sat in that chair, lawmakers. We don't do a good enough job of dealing with the mentally ill. We have closed facilities. We have defunded programs that deal with them, and they're walking the streets in a greater number than we probably have seen since the advent of modern mental science, right? Right. We don't do enough to deal with them. And these people, when they're caught on the street acting out because of uh, they're a paranoid schizophrenic or they're bipolar, we put them in a jail cell, right, with a hardened murderer. So now the person with with a weak mental grasp learns a whole different category yeah. of things no, that they could do on the public. You're making people worse, right? By how you treat them. And you know, look. And I'm a small government conservative, but the the whole mental health aspect of yeah. this, to me, that's that's a you know, this is not that's this a, is not that's a, a penny a, saved yeah, is a penny no earned, right? Because yeah, you know, if, if you're going to spend money on on anything, it needs to be that right like okay can we because it costs less money to put somebody in a mental institution and try to get them treatment and get them out of there Mm -hmm. with some you know ability to actually function in society than it does to go throw them in jail here's the difference people who can get jobs should work people who lack the capacity to make sound decisions for themselves need help and helping them isn't just about them it's about all of the rest of us Mm -hmm who are victims of that violence when you don't do something about it. Well, and there's another aspect of this, too, because along with all of this, you know, kind of undercurrent of, you know, we don't. Well, actually, let me, I tell you what, let me boil this down, because the big thing, the big issue here is standards, right? We don't enforce standards as a society. So a guy like this, mm-hmm. right, who apparently has been at all these different TV stations and he's a creep everywhere he goes. And he, I mean, the guy just, you know, drives everybody nuts right. at these, at these places where he's getting fired. He keeps getting rehired. And the reason is nobody wants to uphold the standard. You've been at two different places. You've been a creep at both places mm-hmm. and we're not going to like, we're not going to take that chance. Right. And and it plays out all over the place. You mm-hmm. know, um, I got in a Facebook thread um, <laughs> a, a day or two ago uh, a friend of mine in New Orleans yeah. was at Lakeside Shopping Mall. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, and, and he says, look, you know, I mean, here I am and I'm, I'm in the men's department of one of the department stores or whatever. And there is a guy wearing, you know, house slippers and pajama pants oh, and, a, yeah, and a, you know, wife that. beater. And he's in there, that. you know, he's in there shopping for sneakers. Right. And um, remember when you couldn't go into places dressed like that? Well, exactly. Right. And, and the discussion came in and it was pretty much everybody. And this is there's, there's black people, white people and mm-hmm. everything. I guess the, the guy who's complaining was black. 
the guy who was, I guess, the offending party with the you know poor attire was also black, mm-hmm. right? Everybody, I'm, I'm like one white guy. And How do you the find so, these threads and go in? No, and no, no, this, this guy's a good friend. Okay. He, he's a he's a Democrat, but like we agree on everything. And okay. he, I, I'm trying to explain to him that you really you're not a Democrat. I don't know why you are, but anyway. So we go back and forth okay. on this, and uh, you know, and, and Sid was like, "People don't respect themselves anymore. I mean, this is ridiculous. I shouldn't have to see this, right?" And, you know, um, the thread goes in everybody. I mean, this is black people, white people Mm -hmm. on the thread. You're Mm -hmm. exactly right. I'm so sick and tired of seeing people like this. Here comes, you know, do-do-do-do-do. Here comes this guy. Well, I mean, it's a free country. Why can't he wear what he wants to wear? What you want to do? You want to arrest him? And it was like, no, but we do need to have send somebody to go talk to the guy about. Don't leave out of the house in your pajamas. Yeah, respect yourself. Why the hell do we you know, have to explain that? That, right. that? That's the thing that gets me more than anything yeah, else. Be a man. Yeah. Present yourself that's the right. way that, the way a man should present. And this guy was like, well, who are you to say what a man oh. should? Like? It's not too much to ask to wear a shirt, you know, and what? a pair of pants and a proper pair of shoes. Right. And have a belt. Keep your pants up where they're supposed to be. Yeah. This is not that difficult. The, right. The, but it was it was it was how dare you judge. Right. That guy could be he could be the CEO of a company. Hell no. he couldn't. And I'm like, if he's no, selling crack, maybe the 23 year old punk that's walking around with pajama pants down around his butt. I will lay odds is not a captain of industry. Probably okay? not. And I mean, you know, but I mean, I'm saying this is like, well, you're just being judgmental. And I mean, everybody else in the thread is like, oh, God, we're in this conversation. Right. But I mean, the point is, is that these the people that like want to just rot out all the standards. Right. It's amazing the microphone that they get. And it's amazing the stridency that that, that, I mean, they're like activists about. You cannot, you cannot have standards. You can't shame people for things that are antisocial behavior. You can't do it. And I mean, I, I'm 45. Yeah. Okay, I am not 75. Right. I'm not, you know, the 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 uh, some guys, you know, uncle that's like drunk with uh, cigarettes and on the lawn, you know, the easy chair. <laughs> get off my you lawn. Know, yeah, get off my lawn. I'm not that guy. Okay, but I was brought up, you know, that look, these are the things that you do. To present yourself as somebody who's respectable. And these are the things that you don't because people will think you're a loser. Yeah. And they'll be right. Okay? But when nobody cares. Right. When no, You, I will lay odds, had men in your life as a kid who would not tolerate certain behavior from you. Oh, absolutely. So many of these boys don't have any of that going on in their lives. We don't want to talk about that. We just want to hide the problem. We want to appease. We want to, you know, the whole participation trophy thing, like James Harrison, he got in all kinds of trouble for that. It's like there's value in actually earning something Mm -hmm. as opposed to having it given to you. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it all comes down to standards, right? The participation trophy is for the society where there's no standards, Mm -hmm. right? You showed up. That's the lowest possible standard we could have. And we're going to lavish you with gifts. and Just because. Yeah, because you were there, right? The society with standards is like, you don't want the participation trophy. Because that's that's dishonorable to get that. You want the trophy for leading the league in rushing. You want the trophy because your team won the championship. It has to mean something. Yeah. But But here's the thing now. So preparing, disincentivizing earning from children, and then at the same time, vilifying those who have earned to say that you should have what they have, and the only reason they have it is because they were privileged. Right. 
Th- that if they had your circumstances, they couldn't be where they are. That's right. And that's about as bass backwards as anything I've well, ever and, heard and, because and, it's the total opposite in 90% of the cases. Yeah, well, and that's the whole thing is, is this whole business about privilege, it, it denies people agency, right? I mean, let me tell you something. I grew up, I knew lots of rich kids, okay, mm-hmm. that in high school discovered cocaine and they are losers, right? <laughs> there used to be, and I think last time I was on, we actually might've talked about this. There used to be this saying that was like to describe the American condition, which was shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Mm-hmm. Meaning you'd get somebody who would go and make a fortune. Two generations later, their moron relatives and kids and grandkids would find a way to take that family and drive it right back into the gutter where it came from. And and that was not seen as a bad thing, right? Because right. that, that was seen as, no, 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 we have a very vibrant, competitive society, and you have to uphold you know, what your what your ancestors have done or whatever. I mean, you have to do it yourself because right. we can't just pass things off. Now, I don't know that that's quite as true as it used to be because the really rich in this country have so much money, it probably takes six generations yeah. to get rid of it. Yeah. But you look at the Kennedys, and they're well on their way, right? Yeah. But, I mean, the, but the whole thing is is that that used to be the ethic of the country, which is, you know, look, you got to uphold this standard of behavior mm-hmm. because there are bad things going to happen if you don't. And we've lost a good piece of that. Well, we don't even encourage it anymore. And and again, you know, this thing this morning, everybody wants to find out you know, what made him. I want to know what made him snap, but I don't want to know what made him snap so I can feel sorry for him. I just kind of want to understand that level of crazy. But, right. you know, I don't care. He didn't have the right to do that. Well, right. I mean, and it, it doesn't matter what color he is. He didn't have the right to do that. Right. Well, and to me, I mean, I, I think, like I said, I think the whole race thing involved in this, and we don't know what level it is, but mm-hmm. it, whatever it is, it's a symptom. This is this is somebody who refused to take responsibility for his own failure. Yeah. Plain and simple. And that metastasized into something awful, just like it has with all of these other shooters. No question. You know, I want to try, transition a bit. We talked about this and people being offended at people looking for a reason to be offended, which brings to mind all of the discussion we're having about Donald Trump. Now, I want to throw this at you and see what you think about my philosophy about Trump right now. Okay. okay? Here is my theory. Let me lead with the conclusion. Trump is the most powerful politician in America, and he has essentially acquired the grand old party in a hostile takeover. He is right now the determining factor as to what the Republican Party will look like in the presidential election, either as the nominee or as a possible third party, which guarantees that they're either going to struggle or lose. And he has them all right now either being afraid to be mean to him. I'm talking about Reince Priebus, the head of the party and some of the party boss talking heads. All of them are afraid to be too rough with him because they know if they piss him off, he could run as a third party candidate and then they're done. Okay. Your thoughts. Um, I think it, I mean, certainly if you take this thing and you know, like today is the snapshot and if you know, the election or the, the, you know, all of the primaries were Tuesday or yeah. something like that, then I would have to agree with you. We're a long way, though. Let me add this caveat. As, as of today, yeah, sure. that's what I mean. No, no, and, and, and as of today, I don't think there's anything in there that I would disagree with. I would say this. Um, 
it's six months before anybody's going to vote in a primary. Oh, yeah. And that's, I mean, that is, it's more than an eternity uh, in politics. And a great number of the people paying attention now may not even be voters November right. of 2016. I, yeah, I mean, I think because in past campaign cycles, I mean, this is, this is basically the pre-campaign mm-hmm. is what this is. Mm-hmm. And um, this is usually the time when, you know, you still have people kind of getting into the race. Yeah. And, you know, we've had this weird thing with 17 people in the field and everybody got in by, you know, end of July. So yeah. it's, a, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's this kind of almost unprecedented type of thing. But nobody's but, gotten the attention this guy is getting no, right no, now. No, nobody has Ever. I would, I would say that I'm not 100% certain that him being able to suck that much oxygen out of the room is automatically a good thing for him. I agree. Because, like, okay, let's, like, yesterday. Yes. There's the, the press conference in Iowa that he has. Yes. And he ends up throwing Jorge Ramos out of the press yes. conference. And we talked about this just a little bit before yeah. we came on the air. You know, like, okay, Ramos is a jerk, right? I mean, and I'm not just saying he's a jerk because of what he did yesterday before he got thrown out. Yeah. This guy's a jerk. This guy has been a jerk. He's like he's like this single-issue political activist disguised as a journalist. Yeah. He, he goes on Univision, and it's he's a Mexican-American, and he thinks that we should just knock the border down, and anybody that thinks there should be some, you know, integrity to the immigration process— you know, like, okay, you, now you're a racist and why do you hate Mexicans? Yeah. That's like Ramos's shtick. That's yeah. what he does. And he's got a network that basically, for, you know, various purposes, right. ha- have decided that this is a good thing. We're going to put this guy out there and, you know, make him who serve as sort of a lightning rod. Who else, who else at Univision do you talk about? I mean, if, it, it, if, it, if, it, if it's, it's not for him, him it's what? nothing. Yeah. Right. I mean, or, well, I don't want to say that because. In the Hispanic community, Univision is no, almost no, no. like I, a, I don't, like I don't, a Fox no, no. News no, no, is no, no, to conservatives. No, 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 no. Well, good, correct. I don't mean it like that. Yeah. I mean, the programming obviously serves a community, and I'm not denigrating that. I'm talking about right. in terms of this kind of fire starter. Yeah, He's well, the only guy as, that, that's as like As sort this. of their, their, like the, the, the face man for their news sure. media operations, yeah. then yeah, that's what Ramos is. Yeah. And the fact that they've chosen him to be that is... I don't want to say, well, yeah, I'll say suspicious. Mm-hmm. I mean, that like how agenda driven can you be that this is your guy, right? Yeah. Like he doesn't present himself as an objective journalist. He and says, yet, it, he says yet, you can't call people illegals. They're human beings. Well, that, that's, that's the stupidest that? that's thing I've ever heard. It's ridiculous, right? I mean, that's like totally ridiculous. And it's also an insult to people who came in this country. Legally, that's right. I right? just introduced you because to one who works for me. Are they not human beings? I mean, yeah, is, you know, is it's like, of course you're a human being, but you're an illegal and you, you know, you should be a human being back where you came from. Right. Because you broke the law coming here. Right. So, you know, that, so that's Ramos, right? right? And this is a guy who, um, unless you agree with his, uh, I think, rather extreme ideology on immigration, you're going to see him for what he is. That's a political activist. That's a provocateur. That's a guy who is is there to push an agenda. Mm-hmm. And then he gets up, and he's not called on, and he basically harangues Listen. Trump for a while. And Trump is like, "Look, sit down. You're not called on. I'm going to do this. Is my press conference. I get to decide who I'm going to answer questions from." 
And the guy won't shut up, so he gets the security guy, and they give him the bums rush, which they should have. They should listen. I agree with them tossing him. He wasn't called on, like you said. He stood up. He's haranguing him, harassing him, whatever word you want to use. And it was going never after a question. Him. Never right? a question. And the point is, had here, here's how you change the context where Trump would have been absolutely wrong. If Trump calls on him and he gets up and he asks a question, Trump's refusing to answer the question. Right. Then, puts- then you're pressing him, and then you kick him out. Now that's wrong. Right. Now you're and, shutting and him is, down. And that ha- that is how this was presented that's ex- by yes. some of the media. That's exactly that right. It wasn't that way. And then Absolutely when he came not. into the room, they had, what, five, ten minute exchange right. back and forth on something. Yeah. Trump's not going to run away from a microphone or a debate. Sure he's not. You but, know, but, you know, and that's there's a, there's a couple of things here. Number one, Trump did himself an enormous service by how he handled that. Throwing the guy out was huge. And the reason why is the Republican electorate. And I mean, I'm not just saying, you know, the the agenda 21 crowd and the and the, you know, the the, the real hardcore tea party. They're a Republican establishment people, okay? Who blanch at the thought of Donald Trump being their their candidate, who looked at that and fell out laughing. They thought it was fabulous, right? Because Nobody ever treats the media that way, right? I mean, you know, you're supposed to treat these people like they're some sort of, you know, like, uh, you know, like it's the it's the the uh, the the cardinals at the Vatican, you know, like you have to they're sacred and you can't. I mean, you know, and Trump comes along, he's like, sit down, you know. I mean, yeah. and he says, okay, he said, you don't want to sit back down, then to get the hell out of here. Go back to Univision. Well, he's all everybody, and he's not uh, he's not picking favorites. He's going after. Everybody. Well, sure he is. I mean, I I still don't understand the continuing Megyn Kelly. Thing. So you I don't get that. okay? So okay. Well, the, you know, bouncing around here, but we're talking about Trump. I think in a post that you did, I don't even do that very often. You've got me to do it on yours more than almost anybody else gets me to do it. But mm-hmm. on the Megyn Kelly thing, you said something along the lines of, I don't understand the Megyn Kelly hate or something like that. And I chimed in. She was just doing her job. Right. Well, look, I, I wasn't crazy about the question, but I didn't think it was quite as bad as everybody else made it out to be. The thing about it, though, look, if he wants to pop off and, and rile people up about Megyn Kelly and do all that a couple of days after, that's fine. Yeah. He's still doing it, yeah. which I really don't understand. But you know what? She she didn't just do that with him. She asked the b- only black guy on the stage, Ben Carson, about racism. Right. It's like, you know, okay. You know what, though? And and I agree with saying, you know, really, what are you doing? But Ben Carson knocked that question so far out of the park that Ben Carson is number two in the polls. He's, right he's on the strength of that answer because he said, hey, I see the brain. I don't see the skin. So to me, everybody's the same. I see what actually makes you you. And I mean, everybody watching that debate, there's inter- 24 million people were like, oh, my God, I love this man. He, right? his, his intellect is what got him over because he was able to handle it. My, the point yeah. in saying that is Trump wasn't the only one. She she throwed out a question dripping in both irony and silliness. And it's like, for but you know, with Trump, and he tells you, you come after him, he's oh, going to annihilate you. Yeah, the guy, the, the guy, I mean, you bring a knife, he brings a gun. That's <laughs> no the way question. And that, like, people like that about him. But here's, right now, this is like the, uh, exactly. This is the other thing is Donald Trump, because he's not a political figure and because he's I mean, if you analyzed him any other like just like this is just some guy who says these mm-hmm. things, okay, you would look at that and say, This guy makes more gaffes in a faster, you know, progress like a machine gun of 
politically destruct, self-destructive statements, but he makes so many of them that it's like, eh, whatever, right? Well, and it's it's almost like you know, like Joe Biden, for example, has made any number career-ending stupid statements, right? Yeah. The Dunkin' Donuts thing with the Indians. I mean, it's just like things that come out of this guy's mouth, and you're like, what an idiot! But he says so many of them. Oh, that's just Joe. And Trump has taken that. You know, because he doesn't come off as like a dopey guy who says things that, well, he didn't really mean it that way. No, Trump means it that no, way. And he, he doubles down. Right. And he's yeah. like, and, you know, and, and I mean, I, you know, I'll, I'll see you on Twitter if you <laughs> right. don't like it. Right? right. And so he does so much of this that it just it completely breaks the paradigm. And, and, and you expect it. It's not like you're surprised because it's not like the world is just getting to know Donald Trump. We actually, because when he put himself on television years ago, that's when we got to learn what his personality was like. Right. So what are you going to do? You're going to he's been married, what, four or five times. Uh, nobody yeah. cares about that. Here's the thing I say. You don't have to agree with his politics, but nobody becomes a billionaire by being an idiot. Right. Of course, inheriting a hundred million is a is well, a decent he, he, way to he, start. He, he inherited a hundred million, but you know the story. He took a few of his father's projects and flipped them into multi-million dollar yeah, deals. There, no, he did. And I mean, you know, if you listen to him for thirty seconds, he'll tell you he went to Warden because he says it in every speech. No, I mean, he must no, be like the you know a guy. lot about Trump's biography by listening to Trump. He's not yeah. shy about yeah. any of that, which is another thing yeah. you're not supposed to do, yeah. right? I mean, he bra- he has totally broken the mold, and I think no a lot teleprompter. Of people, a lot of people really, really, really like the fact that he has come with a totally different style that whether you like Trump or not, you have to admit it's far more interesting Mm -hmm. than watching a typical politician give consultant, you know, uh, delivered and like focus group tested. There's too much of that. The perfect example is Scott Walker, right? I mean, Scott Walker is the product of the consultants that Reince Priebus gave him. Okay, when he was running three times in four years for mm-hmm. governor of Wisconsin, you know, the two regulars and, yeah. the, and, the, and the recall, Scott Walker was not as wooden as he has appeared on the nope. campaign trail. Okay, nope. I mean, Scott Walker was, you know, really almost like kind of like a cross between, you know, Jimmy Stewart in uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington mm-hmm. and Mike Rowe and, uh, you know, Calvin Coolidge. I mean, he's just kind of this. <laughs> You know, really kind of, at least for a Republican voter, a very attractive package. Yeah. They have turned him into, you know, somebody that's just the owl and the Tootsie Roll commercials. And and this happened. There's a reference for nobody under 35. Yeah. This happened, I think, mostly like in February, if you remember. And back in February, this was going to be Scott Walker's thing. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's going to be Walker's thing. Uh, He's they're doing a fundraiser in New York for him. And Rudy Giuliani shows up at the fundraiser. And Giuliani gets up and he, he's talking and he says, look, Barack Obama was not brought up like we were brought up. Barack Obama doesn't, you know, believe in all the, the Christian stuff that we believe in. And, all, you know, and said some things that, you know, the media just, oh, my God, you cannot say that. Right. And so, you know, Giuliani was I mean, he kind of backed down eventually. But for the most part, Giuliani's like, I ain't running for anything. Yeah, I teed it up. I let it go. <laughs> Deal with it. Right. And but they went to Walker, right? And they were like, okay, you know, what are you gonna do about this? And Walker's original thing says, Yeah, the man's got the right to his opinion. He can say what he wants. Eventually, though, Walker backed down and he said, Well, you gotta be a patriot to run for president. And it's like, no, that's not a good answer, right? Like there's been unpatriotic people. But that was the consultants, oh, you gotta say this. And it was totally wrong advice because if Scott Walker 
had said, let me tell you something. Patriotism is love of country and its people. And I don't see love of country from Barack Obama like I've seen from previous presidents. Had he said that, think about where that would put him in context of the Iran deal, for example. Well, Scott Walker okay. would be like the guy who said, this dude's not patriotic. And then along comes the Iran deal. And it's like, Scott Walker was right. And he would have taken all kinds of hell from the yeah. media. But if he said, look, you know, you guys, you guys basically are the reason he's president. I don't care what you think about him. I'm with all of these people that you denigrate all yeah. day that live in flyover country. And we don't think he's a patriot because we see his works and he's not a patriot. And then he brings the Iran deal along and Walker could drop the mic and say, what did I tell you? Sands the $150 billion and the hostages. It seems like we're repeating Saddam Hussein all over again. I mean, if you look at it on face value, Saddam had weapons. We know because he used them right. some 25, 30 years ago. We sold him when he was kind of an ally. Right. And he didn't allow the weapons inspectors in. And whether he still had them or not, we couldn't confirm that because right. he wouldn't, you know, Muhammad al-Baradai back then and, and, all, and, and that group that was, you know, talking about it, they didn't know. They were hunching in their shoulders and, well, we have pictures, but we can't be sure. And because we didn't definitive, definitively say, we're going into the silos, brother, we're going to go see and uh, just deal with it. Right. So here we are now, Iran, all these years later. We're going nobody, to allow them. Nobody really believes that Iran is going to stick to the parameters. Of the so people. then don't you think we are creating the how many times do we create the same monster over and over again before we figure it out? Well, and, you know, and this is going to kind of sound like I'm 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 pushing for Trump here. And, and I'm not because I can't believe that it takes Donald Trump to see this. But there is nothing about that Iran deal that makes any sense from nope. a negotiation standpoint. Why on earth would we guaranteed you, the money? Well, I, I I wouldn't pay him any money. Period. Right. I mean, right. I wouldn't even have that on the table. They, they're keeping because the soldiers. I don't give that regime anything. We we allow them oversight over the inspections. I mean, you know, that's that's not even you can't even the deal's not supportable just on that, right? I mean, with with the 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 experience that we've had on uh, weapons inspections and so forth, we just saw it, brother. I mean, you don't you don't do a deal that doesn't involve. No, we have full reign to go in and look at everything you have. Because anything short of that, we know you're going to cheat, and the deal is worthless. But my whole point is this. Why are you doing any deals at all with that regime? I just asked. I don't want that regime in power. They're, these people have been at war with us since 1979. That's right. You do not do a deal with people who are at war with you. Now, if they're willing to stop the war, if they're willing to stop saying death to America, right. if they're willing to give us all of our people, if they're willing to make you know concrete pledges that they're going to stop funding Hamas and stop funding Hezbollah, yeah. mm -hmm. okay, if, if I can have the grand bargain, you will act as a responsible member of the world community and then I don't really care so much about the nuclear thing because that's part of it. Right. Don't build nukes. You can stay the same scumbag rogue, rogue regime that you've always been, mm -hmm. and you're going to fight proxy wars against the United States and our allies on every front that you can. With our money. With our money. But we, we get you to slow down your nuclear program? I mean— I don't care about I the just, particulars of that deal. That's not a good deal. Not a good deal. Okay? And anybody makes that deal, I question either your intelligence or your patriotism. Yeah. Plain just, and simple. Because you cannot claim to be a smart guy yeah. that loves the country and do that deal. How could... 
it's like on face value, how could anyone hear those details knowing the history? Okay, knowing the precedent setting actions of the of the regime, how could you know that and look at this and say, oh, that's okay. This isn't even political. This is not right versus left, Republican versus Democrat. This is smart versus dumb. And dumb is is winning in a boat race. You know, well, yeah, but what it is, it's arrogance and selfishness. It's it's Obama and John Kerry wanted to be able to say to their, you know, friends at the faculty club that they got a deal done with Iran. And it didn't matter what deal it was. They were the ones that negotiated a deal with Iran that nobody else say, could do. We gave away the store on this Absolutely one. we did. Yeah. But, and it didn't matter to them because the fact of the matter is it was more about them than it is about us, right? They're going to do a deal that puts... You know, Israel in dire jeopardy that puts all our allies in that region in Trump's dire right jeopardy. Trump's right about nuclear holocaust being a possibility, well, I mean, well, man. Of course it is. Now, it always was. Yeah, all right? but you think you're, you think Israel is going to let Iran get at full nuclear capability before something happens? Well, I'll put it to you like this. I don't know what Israel's going to be able to do before January of 2017. Okay, because Obama's already laid down a marker that we will actively block them from doing anything military against uh, Iran. All right. It'll probably have to be the Saudis more than the Israelis. And it may be that the Israelis end up going to to Saudi and they get together. Which is interesting to think about. Right. That's like a budding alliance. I mean, those two, they're like, you know what? We need to put this other stuff aside. The House of Saud and Israel. Yeah. Just. Give that a second. And, and Egypt and Jordan. And that's right. I mean, there's that's basically a de facto alliance at this point. Man. You know, <laughs> what happens if that alliance gets together and they're successful without any help or involvement from us at all? Well, it's kind of a good thing, right? Because it's nice to see people be able to take care yeah. of their problems without uh, us being involved. But but it was our Poor behavior and performance which that, could that mean, made it necessary, right? Which, which, which makes us less of a voice that needs to be even listened to in that part oh, of the world. Look, in every part of the world, we have less credibility and influence than we had eight years ago. Yeah, so, I mean that I don't, I, I don't. You can't really argue otherwise. Now, you know, the narrative when Bush left office was that you know America's not liked or respected around the world because of what we did in Iraq, blah, blah, blah. Okay. I think that was a partisan thing, but I'm not going to, you know what, when you're in a long war, you're going to have frayed relations with with people, but there is no way that you can say that America has more influence on the world stage in 2015 than in 2008. Absolutely. When Bush left office, we had won in Iraq. Now consolidating that victory. We did. We never did it. We right. never did it. Right. We, we took Iraq in 21 days. Yeah. We took Iraq in 21 days, and we spent the next few years figuring out how to get out. Because we, the war in Iraq took three weeks. We yeah. found Saddam in a hole you know, with rats right. and money in his pocket looking to negotiate. Right. We took Iraq. Then we got political. Right. Yeah. Then, then we ran a well, PR we, you know, war we, from then. We decided that we were going you know, we to leave in place in Iraq. A democracy? West, West Germany, you know? And this is the thing. They, well, they've never had it, Scott. No. Well, I mean, look, they'd never had it in South Korea, okay? Yeah. We fought the Korean War. We, we, we expelled the North Koreans at great cost or whatever. 
And, I mean, we kept our troops in there, but what we left in place in South Korea at the end of that war was a military dictatorship. Yeah. And it took 30 years to build the civil institutions to turn South Korea into a democracy. We didn't rush into that. I mean, we said, no, we're going to have a right-wing junta in charge mm-hmm. of this place that will help us fight the Cold War because that's what's important, right? Yeah. And over time, the country became prosperous enough and you were able to build civil institutions enough that making a transition to democracy went very easily. And now, you know, you could probably make a list of the top 10 countries on earth and South Korea is on that list. Well, right? but the country's so war weary right now. Yeah. America well, I'm not is. saying we had to keep troops in Iraq forever. I'm saying you needed to find a strong man. I agree. You need to take some guy that I was agree. one of Saddam's guys that was willing to play ball with us and would do whatever it took to keep that country under control. Pretty much. And that's our guy. And you know what? If he's filling up the prisons and he's doing terrible things, he's our bad guy that's filling up the prisons and doing terrible things. If, you'd have cut, if you could have gotten a Hosni, Hosni Mubarak mm-hmm. to take over in Iraq for the time being— and 25 years down the road, hopefully you'd be able to put something together where they, you could transition into some sort of democracy. You know what? That would have been a smart play. Mm-hmm. That would have been like a Henry Kissinger would have told you, this is what you do. Okay? And we got it in our heads that we were going to be JFK on steroids yeah. and we were going to fight anybody. No, it's the Middle East. Right. You find the guy that can keep the place from spinning out of control and you back him. Okay? I mean, Obama found that out in Egypt. He threw Mubarak overboard, and we're going to have the Arab Spring. Well, what comes in? The Muslim Brotherhood. You're going to get an enemy regime, right? Thank God the people of Egypt took one look at that and said, oh, no, we're not doing this. And they went right back to Sistani, who actually is the guy that we wanted all along in Mm -hmm. Egypt and didn't even know it, right? Right. But, I mean— but the he's people a military had to say so dictator, that. right. okay? He's a benevolent guy, and yeah. he's gonna—he's probably going to do more to reform Islam within the Middle East than anybody else possibly could, okay? But he ain't doing it from a democratic standpoint. Right. You know, I mean, if, if you want to challenge Sistani's rule, you know, you're going to see what comes out of the barrel of a gun with your own two eyes. I mean, that's just <laughs> the way it works over there because they've never had the kinds of civil institutions that we have. You know, hu- human rights has a different deal there. But you can get better. I mean, you know, if you if you leave the influence of of civilization out of the mix, right. you get ISIS in the Middle East. Okay, you might get you know New Zealand in a different context. Okay, but you get ISIS there, right? And I mean, the stuff that comes. I mean, there's this video comes out of ISIS uh, yesterday, the day before, and it's this guy dresses up his kid who's three years old. Dresses him up as, you know, one of these militant guys, mm-hmm. gives him a knife and a teddy bear and videos him sawing the head off the teddy bear, you know, and they're yelling infidels while right. he's doing it. And right. it's like, OK, we've actually seen this before. This is what Hamas teaches right. their kids. Right. And there will never be peace there. Nope. Because generation after generation gets That's indoctrinated what into this nut job, jihadist uh, culture and we're back to the whole thing about the what we teach our kids here about it's not your fault it's not your fault it's not your fault the hell it's not your fault if you go out and do something that puts you in a bad position right Th- tough days happen things happen in life life happens and you know you could leave out of here and some idiot can slam into you and 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 no fault of your own right no fault of your own but 
if you're not trying, my thing is, if I go to work every day, and I do, as do you, if I work hard every day, if I have sleepless nights because I'm thinking about how to grow and expand and do more and be more and leave something for the future, why why am I wrong if along the way I've been blessed enough to have some success? What makes me the villain in this well, story? I mean, if you don't have success, then you got to question whether you're doing the right, right thing, right? right? I mean, you know, that's the whole... You know, this idea that that any success you have in life is, is not given the, to you. It's not yet yeah, like it's not the product of something you earned. And it's it's not, the, you know, a reward for good behavior of some kind. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you just won life's lottery some sort of way. I mean, you know, that's a deeply offensive. OK. And and frankly, it's a it's kind of a, a tyrannical. Yeah. Uh, type thing because if you don't have the individual agency to do well for yourself, yeah. then you don't have the individual agency to participate in public life. Yeah. You don't have you don't have I mean like if if I can't make my own life better, then I can't make anything around me better and I should sit sit yeah. still and shut up and yeah. let somebody else handle it for me. All right, that's the, like I mean I could get into the whole well, the but, whole large but, quantity, but if if an oppressor if someone disguises themselves as someone who wants to help you. Let's say you're ignorant of opportunities that exist and how capitalizing on these opportunities could lead to such a great future. Right. Let's say you're ignorant of that. Right. And then someone comes along knowing you're ignorant and gives you a portion of something, a portion of a little bit when you have nothing. Right. And they tell you, I'm going to continue to give up, give you a portion of nothing just so you know that someone cares about you, but I'm never going to allow you to be educated enough to learn that you don't need me and there's a whole pie, not just the slice that you can own, mm -hmm. then you keep people ignorant and ineffective. Absolutely. And I think that's a lot of what's going on. I think government should just pave the way, not be in the way. And when I mean pave the way, keep the roads working. You know, keep, keep yeah. provide for the common safety of the country. Right. Get out of the way. Not be in the way, having me ask you permission. Can I start this? Can I do this? As long as it's legal, get out of the way. None of this stuff was considered very complicated until a couple of generations ago. Yeah. I mean, it really wasn't. Even during the time of the New Deal, okay, when, you know, you had really an expansion of government yeah. that, I mean, even now looks like, like, wow, I can't believe they went that far. It was all still based on the idea of, we're, you know, we're going to try to open up opportunities for people and hopefully, you know, they won't need government help after a while. Mm -hmm. I mean, even like FDR, you know, as radical as he was at the time and did a lot of, I think, really awful damage to the Constitution. Yeah. I mean, his his whole point was, well, you know, these are poor people and I'm going to try to help them, but I don't want them to stay poor. Right. You know, you help poor people by putting them in a position to not be poor, by having jobs, having a chance to learn skills that provide well, for them. See, that's the thing. It's not even a it's not even a question of jobs. The most important thing in life is a marketable skill. Yeah. It doesn't matter exactly what that is. It's oh, sure. if you can do something that you can get, you know, rewarded in the marketplace for, then you're you're now self-reliant. Yep. Okay. You you can get a job. Yep. You could start a business yep. based on the application of that skill. And for whatever reason, our society has become such that it's it's a credential society instead of a skill society. <laughs> 
All right. And like what, how that manifests itself is you have people going into six figure debt, going to college yeah. and into, majoring in things that do not confer a marketable skill. If you're yeah. a sociology major, I don't want to pick on anything, but if you're a sociology major, exactly how do you contribute to the economy using your college degree? There's no use for a sociology. You can go be, you know, uh, you can teach sociology somewhere. Sure. You could maybe be a social worker working for the government. All right. But I mean, that's not a skill. Let me tell you what a skill is. A skill is, you know, like if you welding. Yeah. If you're a welder, right? If you're a mechanic, plumber. you're a plumber, you're a carpenter, carpenter. Okay? That's a skill. I would take a million, you know, plumbers, carpenters, welders, There's mechanics always a need. before I take a sociologist, because these are people that actually like, this is something I can do. An engineer. Well, yeah. Architect. Yeah. But engineers but, and I mean, architects, but, 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 you go to college. Yeah, that's right. You, go to, so you don't, need, yeah, to, you don't yeah. need to go to college to be a plumber. And yeah. plumbers make 80 or 100, <laughs> no right? Question about and they're it. off work at five. <laughs> call, them, call them over to the house on the weekend and see how cheap it is to get a plumber to come do something. Well, yeah. They and, got you, know, you by the short and, and curlies. You know, Mike Mike Rowe does a lot of this. And I can't remember. The, the guy that was Cliff Clavin on um, on Cheers. Like uh, John Ratz, um, Ratzenberger or something. Right, Ratzenberger. You know, have done this whole thing. Look, the average age of the American skilled tradesman is like 57 yeah. years old. And here are all these millennials that are running around pouring coffee at Starbucks. Yep. Oh, how am I going to go pick up a hammer? Yep. Seriously, go. I mean, if you're smart oh, enough to get through college. Oh, but that's a whole other thing, though. Picking up a hammer. Manual labor. Not the thing for a lot of millennials, brother. Yeah. You know what, though? I got to tell you. A car... A carpenter is that's not a manual labor. Yeah, well, that's listen, a, it's maybe okay. a blue collar. Changing gig, a tire a ain't a manual gig. labor either. But uh, there's a hell of a lot of millennials who can't do it. And I'm talking well, about guys too. Uh, no, no, that's totally true. And and you know, um, we've lost a lot of the whole do it yourself uh, aspect of our culture. It used to be before you'd go and buy anything new, you've fixed the old Man. thing five times, right? Yeah. And now at it's least everything's times. disposable and you just go get something else. <laughs> just, um, in my case, in some cases, I broke it five more times and then I ended up, it ended up costing me more money. Yeah. Well, and you know, and some of that is it's, it's, we got so, so much greater access to cheap products that yeah, yeah it makes sense. But there's something kind of lost in there, yeah. which is, you know, like Europe, like it's almost like survival skills. Oh, that yeah. We have. Do it. Listen, I always say I, I want it. I don't want, like paying people to do something I can do myself. Yeah. You know, so and, and, and but most people are like, I don't have time. I'll pay them, you know, and it's good that I pay them because, you know, people need jobs. Depending on what it is, I agree with that. But I want to change gears here a little bit and talk about Louisiana. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're off on like, no, but, the but tangent of all but, tangents But it's a podcast. Here, but. The way people use podcasts is they put it on, they listen. It's it's just kind of, it's what they do, yeah. you know. And by the way, we're going to plug Scott's podcast. Scott does a podcast with Brian Haldane. We want to, we look, in the podcast community, we share the love. We're trying to build the following for the entire genre. So the more people listening to all these shows, the better it is for all of us, yeah, right? Ours is the Red Bayou show, and, and we're actually off this week because Haldane's got, working with uh, yeah, Jaybo. He, yeah, he's got they he's whacked got the a, morning crew over there a couple of weeks ago. Well, it, it, Don Grady, I think, hurt. Oh his yeah, back he did it. hurt his back. Yeah, so uh, Brian, Bruce Collins told me that yesterday. Right, so Brian's Brian's kind of filling in for a while, and he's he's you know it's like okay, I'm up at two o'clock every morning. I don't want to do the podcast this week. I'm like okay, well, I'll go do Clay. Um, so uh, then let's talk about Louisiana. So and, and specifically before state government. Uh, the uh, Bobby Jindal's campaign for president. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to laugh by when I'm saying that. But you know, uh, does that make it to Labor Day? Does it make it to Halloween? I mean, no, I think he'll probably hold on until the end of the year, man. I think he you think. It, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's it it starts to become a deal where it's like 
I don't know how much longer that you can justify doing I it. I just... Uh, Give me a grade. This will be interesting based upon the conversation we had on the last show. Taking in context the last seven and four fifths of of a of a ter- of a you know gubernatorial run. Right. What grade would you give Bobby Jindal? Um, overall, I'd probably say a C plus. Are you freaking kidding me? Well, and the reason the reason I say that is um, I think the education thing is transformative. But he, it all fell apart. And then he turned on some of the people who stood with him in, in the fight to well, do you, all that you're stuff. You're talking about Common Core. I'm not, not just about that. that. I'm, I'm talking about the school choice On part. school choice, but a lot of those groups are still looking for him to be aggressive with him, and he's not doing it. Well, yeah. Common Core is a whole other thing. The implementation of that just doomed it. Well, I mean, I wrote a piece to the American Spectator a couple weeks ago, or I guess it was last week. That was last week. I saw you post Facebook about it. Please do not come to me with Common Core. (laughs) I don't care about Common Core. This is rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. I want want an educational, blown-up, wide-open marketplace, um, you know, and and let's let innovators and entrepreneurs get involved in that and completely change the the entire way that we, we, you know, consider a school, right? Uh, So I'm kind of... You know, okay. like every, people get talking about Common Core. Like I don't want to talk. I about get Common it. Core. Tell me about the C grade. Well, I'll, justify I mean, that, please, Mr. McKay. Well, but like I said, bringing the school choice package to the thing—that okay. was a big deal. Yeah, okay? it, was. it was a big deal. It was. He he cut the size of the state workforce by a significant number, okay. and, and you can't. I mean, yeah, it's not as dramatic as I would have, but there's something to be said for that. Okay. Um, the state. Expenditures have been shrunk. They have. Eh. No, no, no. He, he had a $29 million, billion dollar budget when he took office, and it's 25.6 We today. lost money because, you know, the Fed, a lot of federal dollars I went agree. away. He didn't cut that. It was going anyway. Well, no, 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 no. Daffy Duck could have been the governor, and that money was going away. Agreed. But We ended up getting goofy, but go but ahead. If, if, let's say, Kathleen Blanco had been governor. She left a billion-dollar surplus. She left Katrina surplus is what she left. It doesn't matter, no, though. No, 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 it does, and I'll explain why. Okay. Um, that Okay, you had that revenue. You had $30 billion yeah. at the time. The revenue goes away, mm-hmm. all right? And Jindal did not replace the revenue by raising taxes. That's true. He cut the actual budget. Now, I mean, this is like I'm going to give the guy a cookie, right? It's not a lot. I'm talking about a C here. I'm not talking about an A. Right? But I mean, I, I listen. I, I wouldn't say no, an no, no. F. I but I would definitely be in the D range because I think there was a lot of smoke and mirrors that you know conservatives talk about transparent fiscal conservatism. We used one-time money on countless occasion for a recurring expenses. Yeah, but I got a different. I got a different take on that. Though, okay, because the one-time money. Okay, first of all, it's not exactly one-time money. What it is is dedicated money that got That's swept right. in the general fund. Right. Okay. And that money was dedicated because some jackass legislator convinced the rest of the jackass legislators to take his little pet project and make it a constitutional amendment, put it in front of the voters who are like, oh, yeah, 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 we definitely got to save this money and make sure that it doesn't get cut. And we're putting these tax uh, uh, dedica- dedications of tax revenue mm-hmm. into these pet projects, and it's triple what they need, yeah. okay? And that money needs to be in the general fund. So what Jindal did, and this was years and years and years that he did this, he took these dedicated funds and he swept them into the general fund so that you could paper over a budget deficit with it. Right. Now, 
what I would criticize is Jindal not saying to the voters, guys, I got to undedicate all this crap. These people don't need this money for these causes. This is the budget for, the, for this deal. It's, you know, $10 million. They're taking in 25. The 15 million, I need it for LSU. Could we please be smart about how to do it? Schools got he, raked over the coals and you know it. What schools? The school, higher education in terms of funding. Uh, okay, listen, okay. Here's okay. the thing. Let's, let's, let's say, let's use your argument, okay? The, let's use your argument as a basis. Let's say there is some dickering back and forth, negotiating about how we're, we're going to go through some tough times. We're losing millions in federal dollars. Uh, we do have an unhealthy uh, workforce or unhealthy populace, which requires a lot of money being spent in health care. Um, the education system across the state, by and large, is nowhere near where it needs to be. It's improved in some pockets, but the bottom keeps the top from, from shifting the weight to even. And, and we're going back and forth with these debates. Stephen Morey is a friend of mine. I think he's a brilliant guy. I think he's an honest guy. I think he's worked hard at the Department of Economic Development. Sure. But you cannot tell me that we have done business for Louisiana, and I don't believe we are better off today than we were seven and three-quarter years ago. Can you say we are? I think we have a better business climate today than we had then. I don't we think there's any question Okay, that. define that. Well, I mean, you know, okay, is Louisiana a better place to do business than it was in 2008? I don't yes. think there's any question yes. about that. I will not, okay? I will not argue with and, that and point. Look, and some of that... You're probably giving Jindal too much credit. I'm giving Moray all the credit. Well, I mean, Moray worked for Jindal. So okay, okay. He gets, I mean, you know, I look, mean, that's, he could, technically he that's true. could have fired the guy and put a crony in place. I yeah. mean, we've seen that in the past. Well. So, um, you know, having talented people around you, I mean, you know, yeah. Les Miles hires Cam Cameron, and if that offense, you know, does well, then Les Miles is a good coach for having Cam Cameron, They're right? waiting on that, right? Well, we, we'll find out. Okay. But, I mean, you know. He may do better than Bob McConnell did for for Jerry DiNardo, right? So fair point. Um, you know, but I don't want to get I don't want to get too beat up about that. I, I saw and I didn't read the piece, but on the Business Reports Daily Report today, they said Louisiana had the highest improvement on the ACT scores of any state in the country, which you know was kind of interesting. Yeah. I didn't, I, that kind of came out of the blue I, for me. I, I saw the headline. I didn't read the story. That kind of looks good, right? Day. You have, you have all of these, you know, site selection magazines says yeah. Louisiana is this, and you have, you know, these, these tax rankings that say that, you know, these different places in the state are, you know, good places. There is from a private sector perspective, yeah. Louisiana is in really good shape. We'd be in really, really good shape if oil wasn't $38 that's, a barrel. That's very, very true. The petrochem industry I mean, is hurting a bit. But I'm telling no, no, you, No, no, no. Petrochem's doing I mean, fine. The, the, excuse oil me. And the, the oil but, and gas is. oil and gas is not. And, and because no, over, downstream is yeah, great. And we got yeah. $100 billion well, in investment coming in. That's and all right. This kind because of stuff over like in, I, you know, talking to clients and people over in Lafayette, I mean, it's it's oh, it's Lafayette, been tight, it's a man. Ghost town right now. And yeah. So is well, Lake Charles isn't because they yeah. got downstream, but the upstream part is is a nightmare. I a mean, C. I give him. I give him a C. Okay. See, I mean, this I, is why I told you guys he's a nice guy. See, if anybody anyone out there is wondering, yeah, no, he's not a nice guy, Clayton. Well, there you go. He's he's a nice guy. But, C. Now, Wouldn't you want to have Professor McKay grading you, you? But if you if you ask me, okay, how's Bobby Jindal done the last two years? I give him an F. Okay, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not saying that he's a C and he's and he's finishing strong. I think the last I think this last legislative session was one of the worst <sighs> things I've ever seen. Yeah. Okay, and I mean, and he was an absentee landlord 
for it. And and even the things that he did that could be defended, okay, like, like for example, like. I'll give you an example. The SAVE Act, okay? Everybody beat up the SAVE Act. And yeah. I'm not I don't have a problem beating up the SAVE Act. I think the SAVE Act is stupid. All right. However, okay, if you're going to do the SAVE Act, all right, and you're gonna satisfy Grover Norquist or mm-hmm. whatever whatever mm-hmm. it is that they wanted to say about that. You know what the SAVE Act is? If I'm gonna like sell it and get it passed or whatever, this is sure. what I'm gonna say about the SAVE Act. Finally, at long last, for the first time in the history of the state of Louisiana, we are dedicating money to higher education. Hmm. Okay? That was never sold. Nope. Okay? And that's really what it is. Now, it's a kind of a bass-ackwards way to do yep. it, but you're setting up a fee that's then going to get paid, and so long as that structure is in place, that's money every year that the state budget is going to put into higher ed. I believed the guy when he was elected was going to be maybe one of the great governors Louisiana had ever seen. I thought he was going to be smart. He was going to be fast, you know, efficient. All of those adjectives that will go along with a young executive taking over a, a beleaguered, you know, Fortune 500. And what has happened is there was a lot of expectation, a lot of hope. And along the way, all we got were press conferences and headlines and no measurable statistics because I can say I don't believe we are overall better off than we were. I don't think it's as bad as it could be, and I don't think we're doomed. I don't believe that at all. But like you said, based on—and I don't—and I never cared if he wanted to run for president. Quite frankly, it wouldn't have bothered me back then if he had said, you know, when I'm done being governor here, I'll consider running for office. I don't think there's a problem with that. I no, never have. No, the, but pro- it, the problem was it's 2011, right. and I'm in South Carolina making well, and, a speech. And right? therein lies the issue people had. No, it's I, like— I, the, Look, this, the, the cardinal sin of Jindal's time in office as governor— was a lack of engagement. Yeah. I mean, that plan, when Bobby Jindal actually was engaged, okay, Bobby Jindal was fine. I mean, you know, like uh, what Gustav comes through in 2008, and people are like, damn, this guy did a hell of a job managing he, their emergency yeah, response did. and all this kind of he stuff. He did. You know. Along then, with a lot of officials, but he absolutely yeah, did. Well, he was I mean, engaged. But he's the governor. No he question. No question. Then you contrast that with, and I use this every time. People that hear me talk all the time are so they know sick and coming. tired of hearing yeah. me. I contrast that with the stupid sinkhole in Assumption Parish. Yeah. Right? And I mean, it's the where's Bobby me. You don't, you're the governor. You don't have to do anything about the stupid sinkhole. You're not going to fix it. Nope. All you got to do is just show up. Yep. You know, look at the sinkhole grimace and, oh, geez, you need to make sure you settle with these people and their hunting camps get paid off. That's all you got to do. That's all. Right? You do that on day three after the sinkhole opens up. It took two and a half months to get him down there. Yep. Right? And that's just a lack of engagement. I think it's malpractice on the part of his political people. Yeah. And I mean, look, I have I have criticized Jindal's political people in no uncertain terms yeah. for a long time because I look at like how can you run this guy for president when the basics are getting blown up in your own state, right? I, I mean, get it. Just, just he doesn't bad. have idiots around him, though. I don't. I know people say things. I don't think Timmy Teeple is an idiot. Well, I mean, it's not a question of idiot. It's a question of what quality of job are you doing for the. Guy? I don't know. I who who knows, man. This could all be driven by his own ambition, and we just don't know it. Have we ever Maybe. really, as a public, met Bobby Jindal? Uh, I don't like. I don't know that there's like all that much to Bobby Jindal that we just don't know. I mean, I think he's. You know, he's a policy wonk guy who, you know, has a head full of numbers and, you know, stuff like that. 
and translating that into real life action is difficult. And that's why you get all these people hey, from these think tanks that, absolutely. you know, and they're great giving a lecture somewhere, but it's academic. They can't lead. As, as a, on a personal level, I have no interest in bashing the man personally here or anywhere else. But I, I will say as a citizen, as a taxpayer, as a business owner and employer here, I don't think he's done a good job. I don't think he's done a good job. I think he. Could, I think based upon expectation. Well, look, he could have done a better a, job. If you're going to give him a grade based on expectations, it's probably. A but thing. isn't that what he sold us? He well, sold no. He sold us on expectation. I, look, he came I, in and and, and jumped okay, on that, the legislature. Okay, he called them names. That, look, that's valid. Yeah. Okay. I'm, that happened. The curve I'm grading on okay. is Louisiana's history of governors. But he was going to be a transformative figure. That's what he. That's what we were sold, I'm Scott. Not, hey. I, right. I'm not saying that the guy has fulfilled expectations. Okay. All right. I'm saying if I'm going to compare Bobby Jindal to Kathleen Blanco or, you know, like Edwin Edwards, particularly in the third and fourth term, <laughs> right. or Buddy Romer, okay? If I'm going to, co- I mean, you know, or, or some of these other guys that we had, you know, as governor, I mean, you know, it, it's not that the guy compares all that unfavorably. To Buddy Romer. Buddy Romer got nothing done for four years. Nothing. Okay. Yeah, that was a crazy time. I mean, you know, and, and uh, you know, look, when, great when you're guy, an incumbent though. governor, okay, and you run third behind David Duke, okay, you can't say, oh, no, Romer did a better job than Jindal. No, you can't say that, okay? When David Duke comes along and, you know, knocks you, like, okay, your political career is over, God. you did a bad job, God. right? That's when the, that's when the people of the state are like, I don't care who we elect because it's Edwards and Duke. We'll take <laughs> one of those guys crook. rather than bring this guy back on. Vote for the crook. That's a repudiation. And, I mean, like, I'm not, like, calling Buddy Romer out personally. I'm just no. saying those four years didn't go well, yeah. okay? Jindal's... I think maybe did a little bit better than that. So, but I'm not, I'm not going to give the I'm not going to tout Jindal. I think him a C, I think I mean. there are three of the four candidates for governor. Okay, that I think can improve on what Jindal. Who's going to be the next governor? I, it's probably going to be Vitter, right? I mean, I'm not sure yet. The, well, I mean, you know, it's kind of still early for that, but okay. Well, oh, not I mean, you know, we're getting got, closer and closer. He's got nine million dollars. Nine million. Okay. Dollars. Which is double what everybody else combined has. No doubt. The first, like last week, you started to see the Vitter ads go on TV. Mm-hmm. And the, the first one I wasn't crazy about, but the one about, um, you know, the politicians call me annoying, I must be doing something right, is a yeah. good ad, yeah. right? That's a really good ad. And he, I mean, it's on every 10 minutes. Does, okay? he, get, does he get Republican? I'm sorry, because this is Louisiana and what? Two thirds of the electorate is registered Democrat. Does he get no, conservative? No, no. It's forty seven percent. It's that's right. It's, it's gone 47. down. So, Republicans so, are about twenty eight, and the Demo- the independents are like twenty seven. Which is like which is interesting too. So, but that's in the yeah, last but, three years. But there's no reason to register any party in Louisiana because we don't have party. That's primaries. right. But that's in the last three years. It was like seventy thirty, you know, four years ago or whatever it was. Two to it was two to one at least. Uh, Republican, Republican Democrats, Democrats are Republican, Republican. Yes, yeah, it's probably it's moved. Little, yeah, yeah, six, seven points in the last three years. I don't know because used, people have. I actively, used to watch it every month to I, see how it was going. I just I kept up with it as well. But anyway, here's a question: Does do conservative women go to the polls and vote for uh, Senator Vitter? I think they do if it's him and Edwards. Okay. Which the you know look we. If you know, it's we, he and Angel or Jay Darden. Well, at that point, now you have a race. Yeah. And, um, you know, because, 
you know, he's at that point, he's got sort of a messaging thing like, OK, can I can I climb this hill with nine million dollars to back me up? Yeah. And, you know, you could come up with a bunch of different kind of messaging and just ram it home. Um, but Angel and Darden would have a built in advantage. But here's the problem. OK, um, we you know, we we've got a poll that we're doing. We've we've pulled uh, or teamed up with Marbleport polling mm-hmm. um and you know they're doing a, a poll and then there's another another polling firm called triumph campaigns that's running polls out you know and, and both of us are doing them you know once a month all right and the race has been very static for a while okay and it's you know vitter in the low 30s edwards in the low 30s darden and angel in the teens mm-hmm. okay and the dynamics of the race really look like they're fixed. There's nobody else getting in. I mean, John George's, I think, wants to get in, and all of his people are like, John, you're not gonna you're gonna waste more money on yeah. politics. I yeah. mean, could you please stop, right? So I think you have those four. And, you know, if Darden is in the race, Angel can't get Darden's people and go make a run at you know, Edwards or Vitter. They, mm-hmm. they, you just like, you can't do it. They right? hurt each other being in yeah, the race. Yeah, I mean, they cancel each other out. Yeah. And so I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe something can shake the race up in the next Vitter two months. Vitter boat races, John Bell Edwards. And, yes, 60-40, yeah. right? 60-40. And, you know, and the pro- this is the other thing, is all of these other candidates, including the Republicans, have not come up with a viable... Uh, narrative against Vitter. Uh-huh. I mean, all I hear from these guys is, you know, hookers, hookers, hookers. This is the thing. That's been tried, okay? Oh, sh- oh sure. 2010, Absolutely. Charlie Malonson ran yeah. 10 months, nothing Listen. but hookers. Yeah. And he got beat 57-38. The voters don't yeah, care. No. They elected Edwin Edwards four times, okay? Listen, he, you got to do better than that. Strategically, it's got to be more about ideas because everybody, because of the way Louisiana sits right now, People are paying attention to what you say you're going to do next year because everybody's worried about 2016. Oh, yeah, no question. So and it's going to be ideas, not that stuff. I mean, you know, like if I'm Angel or I'm Darden, then I'm going to go after Vitter on the basis of this is a Washington guy, right? Yeah. And I like to be honest, I don't think that's all that compelling, but it's better than hookers. Yeah. And I'm not Darden and Angel have not done the hooker thing. No, they, no, no. And I don't they think have, they will. I don't the, think the they will. The only people that are really doing it is this gumbo pack, which is yeah. Melanson's yeah. old campaign manager sure. that fleeced a bunch of Democrat yeah. donors. Like, hey, I got this messaging that's going to beat Vitter. And they yeah. say, oh, they forked it. Hey, we want to beat Vitter. Work. And he's out there running the same thing that Melanson got boat raced, yeah. you know, six years ago, <laughs> yeah. five years ago with. Yeah. You know, and so it, basically, gumbo pack is a scam is yeah. what it is it's a scam i mean it's like the ashley madison <laughs> holy of, oh, don't of, jump i want to get to that consulting all right that's that's still I coming mean, but, you know it's like here i'm going to take <laughs> yeah. your money and i'm allegedly going to do some good with it but what i'm going to do is i'm going to like i'm going to go spend money on stuff that i can get a 15 percent commission on and a lot of political consulting is that's how it works right Listen, it's, it's all about you getting paid and not just that it's making up work so that you can get billable hours. And I actually no like question. winning more than any of that crap. Because if you don't win, what's the point? But, you know, you, you are so right about that. Uh, the John Bell Edwards is the only Democrat in the race. And I think the letter next to his name is the reason why he polls so high. Because people see his name. And, and well, see, Yeah, it's the only Democrat. And, and, by, and by all accounts, he's a nice man. I've heard people say nice things about the guy. I don't never met him. But... Uh, He's got the he's got that letter next to his name. What about the state's Democratic Party? It has been just 
absolutely getting woodshedded for maybe the last three election cycles. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have a lot of money right now. There is no standard bearer. Right. The, the, and if this, if they're going to say the standard bearer is John Bell Edwards, you know, that's as laughable as the Republican Party saying their standard bearer is Bobby Jindal. Well, the problem the Democrat Party in Louisiana has is racial. Okay. Racial. Racial. Okay. The, the, the majority of uh, the Democrat voters in the state right now are black. The majority mm-hmm. of the elected officials in the state right now are black. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the longest time between white Democrats and black Democrats, okay. there was this kind of colloquy going on. Whereas, you know, you had sort of the John bro, mm-hmm. Kathleen Blanco, Mary right. Landrieu right. and John Bell Edwards, Democrats who's like, look, you guys are not electable. We're electable. So you have to put us at the top of the ticket. Right. And we will win the race, and then we will distribute patronage to you guys in copious amounts, and everybody will be happy. The problem with that is that basically Katrina came along, and that wing was no longer able to sell the state at large on the idea that it was competent to run anything. Okay? And that was when the Democrat Party started bleeding white voters off big time and became less than capable of generating a majority or sounding like political figures in other parts of the of the country that don't resonate with louisiana well, and i'll right. throw this at you mary and landrew that's part of it too mary landrew had high negatives last year but here's the case of listening to consultants the majority of her base her her electorate her constituency would be black democrats would you agree oh yeah then why wouldn't she invite president obama here Anybody who was going to have a problem with her inviting him here, they weren't going to vote for her anyway. Why wouldn't she invite him here to sure up that her constituency went to the polls when the numbers show that that was low, that that didn't really happen? Well, I mean, it happened more for her, obviously, than for Dr. Cassidy. But I mean, no, she got 95 percent of the black vote that voted. She hit her target that voted. Well, what was the uh, what was the, I, th- I think that it was a little bit lower than people expected, and she got twenty eight percent. And she got boat raced in the early voting. Yeah, she did. Well, so what do you think part, about the decision that, not to invite was, him? They, they, I mean, they knew they were going to get beat, and and she was out of money. That's the well, big yeah. thing. She was and they out of money, and they, the were, they decided not to give her any more well, money because they knew she couldn't yeah. win. Yeah. I mean, you know, they they don't want to throw you know good money after bad. But the point is, she look, she had. Her, her calculus mm-hmm. to get elected was no longer available because people who had been, you know, white people who had been Democrat voters in the state and had bought into the whole, you know, John Bro. I mean, these are the people that still to this day tell you Edwin Edwards got things done. And it's like, okay, like I was nine when Edwin Edwards <laughs> went out of office and David Treen went in, okay? So maybe before I was nine, you know, that might have been true. I remember Edwin Edwards' third and fourth term and people who say that just boggle my mind. I mean, all I know from Edwin Edwards being governor is, oh, here comes the U.S. attorney and we're yeah. going to get indicted again. Yeah. I mean, like nothing good happened. 83 no. to, or what was it? Yeah, 83 to, to 87. I mean, I lived in New Orleans. It was last person out of New Orleans to turn out the lights. Yeah. Okay. And then when, when he went in in 91 to 95, it was, you know, gambling is going to be the, the, the panacea. Of the, I mean, these were like two of the you worst mean terms. gaming. Oh, yeah, right. But it means like two of the worst terms a governor's ever had. And people talk, these are, these are the people Until that the talk. the last two. And the reason why 
I saw, I saw what you did. <laughs> I will put Bobby Jindal's two terms ahead of Edwin Edwards's last two, and we can go and match up the statistics of all of the different things. Different that you Louisiana, look at. so that's not a fair comparison, I guess. Well, right. But I, I don't, let's not get bogged okay. down because we got all this other stuff. I got to get to Ashley Madison because that's going to be classic yeah, to hear I what know, you think I know about you that. No, 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 no. And and, and listen, I'm I'm not going to be dancing on anybody's indiscretions or anything like that. You know, I I just want your reaction to it when we get to. It. But finish your yeah. thought about Edwin well, Edwards. Anyway, and it's not so much Edwin Edwards, but these are the people that were white Democrat voters yeah. when Edwin Edwards was running. Yeah. Okay, and you know they look at Edwards as like, oh no, he got things done. But they vote Republican now, sure. okay, because they don't see that, you know, like Ed, the thing Edwin Edwards always used to be able to sell to people is competence. Mm -hmm. Like he sold competence on such an extent that it was like, I know this guy's a crook and I know he's a degenerate, but yeah. he's competent. So there was no, after Katrina, there was no Democrat out there who could say they were competent. Ray Nagin couldn't say he was competent. Kathleen Blanco couldn't say she was competent. Aaron Broussard couldn't say he was competent. I mean, there was nobody in the Democrat Party at that point that could say they were competent. To become the, the next leader or standard bearer of the or party. Whatever. Yeah. So what it really boiled down to is when you lost that image as a governing party, okay, it becomes a question of ideology. And that was where the Democrats always had a problem in the state because the John Bro crowd was, oh, no, no, I'm pro-gun and pro-life and yeah. I'm all about that oil business. Sure. Right? So when you when you... When you can't sell that, and now it's like, okay, well, what's the Democrat Party all about? But Governor Blanco was those things, pro-gun, pro-life, and obviously she's from no, no, that no. Lafayette she was, area. She's part, yeah. she's part of that kind of John bro. Yeah. But the problem is competence, right? Yeah. Katrina comes along, and yeah. it just, I mean, it's like this Destroyed woman doesn't her. know what she's yeah, doing. that's right. So, like, she's no longer a viable right. political figure. And it couldn't even run for re-election in right. But so you, when you lost, you know, that, then it became a question of, more or less identity politics mm -hmm. and they didn't have the numbers anymore and and that was you know you just it, it started slowly and then it accelerated and now like i don't know how they come back i think i think louisiana is probably really more of a fight within the republican party for who's going to control things and we've actually seen some of that between jindal and vitter i think it's better when you've got both sides, I, you know. It, uh, yeah, I, no, I, I, I like that ideological yeah, fight. That's yeah. why I'm, you will not find anybody in Louisiana that is more, um, you know, strident, wanting closed party primaries in the state rather than this jungle primary mm -hmm. crap. I hate it. Yeah, it's me too. We should have gotten rid of it. Yeah. Simply because it gave us Edwards and Duke that one time. Right. That should have been like, okay, that's it, never right. again. But you know, I like the Democrat Party has got to do a primary and mm -hmm. produce a candidate. And so does the Republican Party. Right. I like that. I right. think you have you have a very good fight about, you know, competence and, and sort of tactical Talk ideas the issues. within the party. Yeah. And then both sides bring their best option right. to the table. And we, okay, which direction do That's we go? Right. Do we go right? Do we go left? Right. I, I think that that is, it's a very healthy way mm -hmm. to go. Now, if one party brings up a bad candidate, then they're going to get blown that's, out. That's exactly that's right. That's the way it is. So let me ask you finally here, and I, talk, I brought up Ashley Madison. I'm going to surprise you a little bit. I, 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 just two questions about it. One, do you think it is the largest scandal, non-political, to hit the state, I guess the country as a whole, in the last, say, 20 years? That's the first question. I'll let you answer them both. And secondly, your reaction to the public's reaction to this? 
Well, I mean, the one thing I can say is um, the guys writing at the Hayride have they've had a field day with all this. Oh, I'm sure they, they just have. they love it because yeah. it's like it's so easy to yeah. write about. Yeah. And and you know, and I can't. I mean, I I'd like our site to be about things that are a little more serious than that. Mm-hmm. But I can't complain either because the traffic we've gotten out of the Ashley Madison stories yeah. that have showed up, all of which are just like quick, simple, easy, takes mm-hmm. five minutes to go post a story on there, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, we're doing traffic like it's been a couple of years since we've had the kind of traffic we're having this week. Is it the off biggest of scandal? Off a bunch of Ashley Madison things. So obviously, it's a big scandal. I mean, you know, you're talking about a cultural scandal rather mm-hmm. than That's your what typical. I said. Yeah, not political and as much. I, you know, it doesn't strike me as being like that big a thing. And mm-hmm. th- and then yet I can't really, nothing comes to mind like, oh, this was bigger than the Ashley Madison thing. Um, so, you know, maybe so. Um, like I have a hard time taking the whole thing too seriously yeah. simply because it's a, the whole thing. Like we talked about a little bit. It's a scam. Yeah. 97% of the people that went on Ashley Madison are men. Okay. Yeah. They charge you, apparently, because I had to ask, because when I actually Never saw heard of the, the list, site before, the, the whole thing. I'd, I'd heard of it, but I didn't know anything about it. Somebody but, told me Rush talked about it a whole lot. I didn't even, you know. But. Well, I, from the cultural conservatives yeah. have been apoplectic about this thing for oh, a while. Okay. Because it's like, on its face, it's yeah. just totally immoral. to some, Somebody's going to make money off of this. Yeah, okay. But... Um, there was a guy on the Louisiana list that popped out who had spent ninety four hundred dollars on wow. Ashley Madison. Wow. And I you know, like I started like, how in the hell is that even possible? And apparently it's possible because they charge you by how many messages you send through the site. Oh and here but here's where the scam kicks in. This thing is all guys. Apparently, these people hired a bunch of women to play like they were the female Ashley Madison customers and talk to all these guys. So the guy that spent $9,400 on Ashley Madison was getting scammed by employees of Ashley Madison to keep him talking. And that's So what were they connecting like, anybody for like so relationships? Very few. I mean, it's 97% so guys. So what they were doing was Unless just it's having... a bunch of gay guys, how could they, So right? they were just having conversation via the site? Yeah. They weren't getting them together? Yeah. I mean, you know, it was probably like sexting and stuff like that going oh, on. But I mean, gosh. from the standpoint of this actually being <laughs> like a, you know, like a match.com where people actually do go on dates and stuff yeah. like that. So it wasn't I don't think that. this is anything like that. This oh. is just a flat out scam. Okay. <laughs> So the people whose names show up on Ashley Madison, right? I I mean, I kind of look at that like, yeah, you know, you're a scumbag. You shouldn't have done it. But it's really kind of more of a, like, that's just pathetic. You know, you went on on this thing. You're looking to have an affair. And you got separated from your money by a con artist. Wow. So it's, I mean, like the whole thing is kind of, it's sad and pathetic. And, you know, somebody goes and hacks the site and blows all these people's names out into the open, and it's like I just look at the whole thing, and I just it's got an icky sad. feeling to the whole thing, you know. Yeah. And really, from a political standpoint in Louisiana, it's a bust. Yeah, I mean, it's like a total bust. The only people that 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 there's one elected current elected official I know of, which is Kevin Kuig, is the president of West Feliciana Parish. Yeah, because okay. Heck didn't spend any money. No, I mean Heck went on the site one time, and I don't know Actually, how he put his email. You know address what's, you know what's crazy about that? You know what's crazy about that? I believe the story. If you know Ryan Heck, 
I absolutely believe his story. Let, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> it's him and these other goofballs sitting yeah. around the office at yeah. Albemarle in downtime. Yeah. Let's go look at Ashley Madison. Yeah. And he's it's his computer. Like, if put you your know, email address in. He's like, know, okay, I'll if, do it. If you know heck, it. I believe him. I take no, him no, at his I, word. No, I bet there was hell to pay look, when he got home. And, but, and, and um, I believe Jason Dore when he says he did it for Oppo Research because that's what you do. Okay. I mean, I, yeah. you got to know Jason, too. Uh, well, that's true. Jason is not the guy that's going to go on Ashley Madison. He's just not, okay? Yeah. But don't, so, him and so, Brian but, Johnson but, do opposition research. So it's how what you, they do. So do you see someone else's name if you go on the website? I don't think so. So how is that oppo research? Uh... Like if you put a profile together and just kind of trolled it, looking to see who would show up, to see if you maybe could catch somebody that you could say, "Oh, oh I know that's who this just is. wrong." <laughs> well, that's what Oppo <laughs> researchers do. Oh well, yeah, there's that. There, there no, is that. No, I mean that. seriously. I mean it's no, you know, no, there is. They there hire is that. private yeah. investigators. I mean yeah. it's serious business. But that's kind but, of a thing, though. I, well, I don't know. It just I, it, that's a look. That's a that's a dirty business yeah well okay? no, I mean, no it's, it's a dirty business politics is dirty man. i get i get people who do oppo research that send I me mean, like because i do a political site and they send me that stuff and i'm like i'm not gonna run with this i don't want to get involved in that and it's like well it's what we dug up and like, you know go and send no more right but i mean yeah. that's you know i think, I think gotta... there are probably uglier businesses in oppo research yeah. but not that many i mean look i think we're in a place now where people can't well i guess this is different than a mistake this is this is a mistake maybe stepping in a hole that you didn't see and falling or an accident. This is more than that. But, you know, I don't know. I just, I just, the whole thing just had a bad, has a bad feeling about it. How did we open the show? We talked about standards. Yeah. And, and the, you know. Yeah, but this is not that. Well, I mean, to some of it is, you're not supposed to cheat on your wife. Oh, absolutely. Right? Don't cheat on your wife. And don't go online looking for somebody to cheat on your wife. Right. I mean, just don't cheat on your wife and you never have a problem with Ashley Madison. And now you got all these people like, oh, yeah, I guess that's probably true. Well, yeah, you're right, dumbass. Don't do it, right? And I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's a symptom because, you know, we, I mean, we, I mean, I could do the whole we all need to get back to God thing, but I'm not that much of a religious guy. But we do need a moral center that yeah. we don't have. We, and th- I mean, this is like all of us. Yesterday, we, we Trump allow... said his favorite book is the Bible. Yeah. And I don't believe it, but I mean, <laughs> You know, and look, Donald Trump is not some moral paragon. And, you think? I mean, he's just not. And like everybody's enthralled with Donald Trump. And yeah. he's like a guy that 20 years ago, like, that guy's not presidential. He's not qualified to do it by any. But now it's like, oh, no, we love Trump. I don't think that I don't think it's because he's presidential. I don't think it's necessarily because he's going to do a great job. I think a big part of it is. He's breaking all the nah, he rules. Shakes, he's shaking things and up, getting and people away want with it shaken up. Yeah. And that's what it is. But yeah. I mean, but it comes down to we as a society have got to we've got to latch on to something that we can all agree with, and it's and it's, you know, look how to how to treat people. Yeah. You know, where it's a non-political thing, and there aren't agendas involved. Where it's, you know, you go back to you know whether it's the golden rule or something that we have got to get to the point where it's like try and be a good person. As your phone, he's got music playing as he makes a salient yeah. point there. Yeah, well, this is this is we're both busy men. Yeah, right? that's right, because because okay. mine's been on silent and it's been going crazy. Yeah. Well, listen, let's let's wrap up by plugging all of your stuff. Let's plug first the podcast again, and then the hayride. Yeah, the podcast is the Red Bayou Show. It's uh, once a week. Uh, me and uh, Brian Haldane, and you know we kick it around just like yeah, this. Yeah, uh, and you know we've we're in the process. We've had 
uh, a whole bunch of political candidates mm-hmm. uh, come on and get grilled. We, you know, we did Jeff Landry two weeks ago last yeah. week. We had Julie Emerson, who's running against Stephen Ortego in a race uh, over in Karen Crow in uh, uh, in the Lafayette area. That's yeah. going to be a, a really interesting race. Uh, probably the only R versus D mm-hmm. uh, ideological fight in the whole legislative uh, legislative cycle. Um, you know, and and uh, uh, yeah, so we're doing a lot of that. Uh, and it's been great, and we're going to do more of it, and uh, so that's fun. And then you know, I, I do the hayride. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm hayride.com. Uh, I don't know if we're the conservative site in Louisiana political circles, but we're probably the the busiest one. Um, and then you know, I'm writing a column once a week for the American Spectator. I got a piece today, uh, Wednesday, that, mm-hmm. that just hit. Uh, they went to me like, you need to write Katrina anniversary stuff. I'm like, I don't want to write Katrina anniversary stuff. No, you Why have not? to, right? Well, I mean, I just like we're not doing it on the site, right? Because we like ten years. Like, look, everybody that lived through that's got PTSD about it, yeah, and they don't really, want to talk about it. Really. Like, I don't want anybody wants to talk about Katrina. Yeah. But you know, so I'm doing uh, two of them. One is already out, and and by the time this thing comes up, uh, the second one will be as well. You know, like things Louisiana people will tell you about Katrina that the national media didn't, mm-hmm. right? And uh, they didn't so, know. No, yeah, number of things. You know, like who do we really blame for? Katrina um, and you know like what are the issues that people really don't know anything about mm-hmm. you know one of the things we're going to talk about in this in the second installment is the schools yeah. in New Orleans got the school system got completely blown up in mm-hmm. New Orleans right I mean I remember a week before and I'm rambling here but I remember a week before Katrina hit I read this article in the Picayune and it was they had brought in Alvarez and Marsal to do like an audit and a management you know takeover of the schools and the lead guy for Alvarez and Marcel is like yeah we've got uh probably 20 percent waste and fraud in the payroll and we think through good accounting methods we could get it down to 10 percent waste and fraud but to really get it down to zero the way we're going to have to do this is like not send anybody a check and have them come to the schools to pick it up, and then we can ask them, what do you do? And that's how we can weed out like all of the waste and fraud. And it was like the reaction when, when the guy said that, it was like, oh, my God, what a horrible person that he would do this, right? And it was like, no, 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 like this is what we're going to have to do because it's that bad. Yeah. Then the storm comes in, and it blows the school system away. And the schools in New Orleans are so much better than they yeah. were back then. I mean, yeah. that was the worst school system in yeah. the country. It's, and it's great for the children down and, there. That, and, that's wonderful. And I look at that and I'm like, you know what? You probably don't need a hurricane. <laughs> you need to think about like blowing up what's there and start over yeah. with something even more wide open than what they did in New Orleans. Because you might be able to get those kinds of results in a lot of other venues as well. And there's anyway, a line. That's, you, that's, don't, you don't need a hurricane to fix your schools. Well, the sad thing is, is that you might actually need a hurricane to fix the schools, but it shouldn't be that way. Scott McKay, oh man, this has been uh, this has been something. It feels like feels like I've been on the treadmill today, man. I got to keep up with you because you see, you got to you know he's going a hundred miles a minute. You know, he's like Trump without the uh, the. Well, that's not a hairpiece for huh? Trump. That's his hair. He says. I, I, I assume so. I think it'll make a muskrat or something. <laughs> <laughs> How did a guy with hair like that be president? Can you imagine? I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know, but you never know. Uh, you never know. Scott McKay with the Hayride. 
We appreciate him being on the show this week. Next week, Richard Condon makes his return, and this time he's not alone. Take my word for it. You will enjoy it, but it's probably not one you're going to want to play on the loudspeakers at work. (laughs) We appreciate you listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at ClayYoungBR. We're on Facebook as well. And as always, we appreciate you listening to The Clay Young Show. Hit the subscribe button if you have not. Share the link when we talk about the new show with your friends. And as always, we thank you for being here with us every week. And we'll see you next time on The Clay Young Show on podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.